No, it looks like you are the most relaxed person in the whole wide world. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. How are you? I am good. I mean, the la- it's so fantastic because you and I got friendly in the lockdown. So when we talk yeah. about things we lost, I often talk about things I gained and just being able to establish a a connection with you was was one of those highlights. So since the last wow. time we- since the last time we spoke, it's been, uh, we've recovered. We had six family members who were ill, who, in, who were infected with COVID. Everybody's fine. And uh, South Africa is slowly opening up. Uh, clients are looking up again, and hopefully we'll start seeing those marketing and brand building budgets return. How are you doing? Uh, very much the same. You know, we've had... Um We've had, are we recording? Is this going? Yes. Okay, we're going. Show's on. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, we're, I'm sorry. You have to cut that part out. No, I love Um, that. The show is on. We're doing, you know, we're doing pretty well. We, we, um, we made a lot of decisions early on, um, given, I I think in, I think in May, and I'm going to have my facts and figures a little bit wrong, but this is incorrect, but accurate. Yes. (laughs) Or inaccurate, but correct. Yeah. Um, I think 45,000 people got laid off between April and maybe June or something like that in advertising in the industry. And we made we made a commitment that we weren't going to lay anybody off. We just said, we're going to find a way to not lay anybody off. We'll figure that out. And uh, because I didn't want to put people that I value into the into that sort of marketplace. And uh, we're a fairly, you know, small agency. There's 23 of us. Yes. And uh we thought, you know, it's it's harder to, you know, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. So to recruit people, all of those things are very specific for certain people to want to work in an agency like this, in a market like this. Some of that's changed now that we have remote, you know, I've been, my eyes have been opened a little bit to remote working. And, uh, and so, um, you know, we just made those decisions. And so I, I like you, um, I've gained a lot. I've gained I've gained so much more than I thought going into this sort of anxiety-ridden year of unprecedented what the hell, you know? And it's it's actually been incredibly productive and, and one of the more wonderful years I've had in the last 10 years. It's been incredible. Oh, my God. So I, and, and, and forgive me because I just went straight into how sure. are you doing. Um, will you help me set the stage for somebody who doesn't know um, and Baldwin, I'm just like, what's, what's your elevator pitch when somebody says, hey, I read your book, and Zah told yeah. me about it, but tell me what your agency is about. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, we look at brands as, um, as a set of beliefs and values um, that determine behavior. So we, we think that successful brands are always based on um, a belief system and that they're anchored in this belief, and then that determines everything you do, some of which is advertising and communications and design, but it's a lot more than that. And so we always look at brands, we, we always look at brands as, um, as a 360 sort of uh, being with a soul and a, a way of operating. And what we talk about is that, you know, if you want to grow, you, you need to get your belief system codified. If you don't have it, I mean, it usually is in the building somewhere, right? If you don't have it, uh, you need to articulate it. And when you, once you articulate it, you articulate it to your people, you articulate it to your supply chain, you articulate it in your advertising, in your design, and it makes everything much more efficient. 
The other thing about us as an agency is we believe in business as a force for good. So we are always trying to be additive in everything that we do. And we, we want to give our clients the tools they need to change their world. So, so that, that's, that's what we do. And within that is a lot of really great advertising and really great design and smart strategy and all that stuff. But it comes from a, it comes from, a, I think, a grounded place of uh, we don't want to just start with what's the logo and design or what's, you know, um, it, because we feel like you, you, there's a much bigger conversation you should be having before you get to that stuff. So would you, would, how would you respond if somebody said, so David, is belief the same thing as purpose? Because a lot more conversation is happening in the marketplace now about purpose-led yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely a purpose-driven agency, but we talk about purpose as a big P, little P. So we don't think that every company has to have a big P in order to uh, have an impact. And I, I read an article of which I'm going to butcher a little bit, but they basically made a great example of it, which is, you know, if you have a car wash, you probably have a little P, which is, uh, you know, to make to make owner, I believe the example they used was to make owners proud of their car, yes. right? That's a great purpose. As opposed to to cleanse the human spirit, you know? Um, and so I, I think uh, we talk a lot about big P, little P, like when we go into clients, you know, there's, there's big P clients, Ben and Jerry's, Patagonia, those are big P clients. They use... And the distinction I would I would give, and I may be wrong about this, but I, I think the distinction of a big P client versus a little P client is big P, big P purpose clients use their products to achieve a goal and sell at the same time. Little P, I think, are trying to solve a problem and using their pro products and or services to solve a problem. Uh, and that problem could be very small. It could be whiter teeth. You know, it could be a lot of different things. But, you know, but the Patagonians of the world are trying to change the equation of uh, the usage of clothing, you know, but they're still running a very profitable business. And so we're a B Corp. I don't know. Are you are you familiar with the B Corp? Movement? Yes, yes, yes. So we're a B Corp. We've been a B Corp for about eight years for, for maybe nine years now. And uh, we very much believe in that movement. And so, um, it, you know, that is business is a force for can be a force for good. Mm. And how do you use your business as a force for good? And I, and I really have a judgment around it. I, I think if you're a kind of company that doesn't want to do that, that's okay with me. I don't know that I want to deal with you. I don't know why, that I want to, you know, give you my money. But but I also don't judge it. That's fine. You know, and, and there are a lot of companies, our purpose is just to make a shitload of money. Okay, that's great. That's good for you, you know. <laughs> So, I, I, I guess it I guess it makes it quite interesting because even in our own practice so um um the elevator our elevator pitches is um working with leaders to create high influence brands where mm. the distinction between impact and influence for me impact yeah. is where the pebble lands in the water and then influence are those concentric circles that form around it and much like yeah. you um, we're very much interested in life beyond the transaction um, yeah. because there is life beyond the transaction and that, that space is that relational space. So I guess a huge part of why I resonated with your book is because it was attending to the, the, those, those human truths that are a requirement in creating work that matters more than just, I mean, I've, I worked at McCann for a long time and it was all about work that works. But I actually right. think that we live in a time now where we have to be creating work that matters. Yeah, 
I think that's beautifully said. I will say there's a there's a real debate happening right now where you know people just say, "Look, shut up. Your job's to just sell. That's it." And I think the I think the the point that's missed in that conversation is that why not do both? Yeah. Why not sell and try to have impact? Why not try sell and try to make things a little bit better? I, I, they're they're not mutually exclusive. And so my feeling has always been, you know. Um, if you don't want to make things better, that's fine. But why wouldn't you? You know, why why wouldn't you want to try to do the things that you can to leave a better world for your kids and for your friends and family and the generations to come? I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to do that. So, especially when you can still succeed. And one of the things about purpose-driven work that I think is misunderstood is it can actually, when done well, and believe me, there's a lot of good washing that's not I, that I would consider not good purpose-driven work, but it drives awareness. It, it does a lot of things that, you know, if you want to get on that sort of cold end of the Brian Sharp path, you know, uh, How Brands Grow, which I think is a fantastic book, but I think there's a valence around, around it that can drive awareness and can do all of the things that he's talking about, which is creating memory structures and all that stuff. It's all, it's all part and parcel. You know, you don't have to give off one to, to do the other. And yeah. I feel like the camps are, well, no, screw you. That's, you're just a do-gooder and you're ashamed of your business. I'm so sick of that argument. You're ashamed of the ad business. I love the ad business. I love it. You know, but, uh, but that's, you know, it's just, it's just, it's this conversation that's just ongoing. So. But, and, and, and you, you, you raise an interesting point because part of what we see here, right. And, and I've, it's a hypothesis. I haven't tested it, which is if, if a lot more CEOs were marketers we may be having a different conversation about the role of brand in the business, right? Because right, I think a right. lot, I think a lot of corporates are led by CAs and financial people, and it's fantastic because they can keep track of the money. But no human being wakes up thinking, "I am going to spend my money at X." We wake up thinking, "I want." company X to solve my problem. And as a consequence right. of that, I give them my money and they give me a solution. Right. So right. my question to you is, do you think that um, having more marketers on corporate boards could help us effect some form of change about the appreciation of brand in the business ecosystem? Yeah, I, I love when you have um, marketers on, on the actual board because I feel like they're, the, it forces a different conversation that might happen where they're not in the room. Um, and I, I think that's very valuable, yeah, because um, our, framework, our framework is usually brands. And, our, and our, when we start to focus on what a brand is and what brands do and how a brand is really for a company, it's a leverageable asset. And in many ways, it's the lever leverageable asset because – a lot of companies don't have distinct differences anymore. There's just so many things that are the same. Um, and every once in a while, you get something that's completely unique and wonderful and great. But that's not that often anymore, you know. And so I think brand starts to become everything. Brand becomes the competitive uh, edge that you have in, in the marketplace. And so, yeah, so if you get a marketing person on a board or there's, I, I find a lot of CEOs are the ones with the big vision, the big marketing vision. though. You know, a lot of times the CEO is the one that has, they started the company, especially a founder. They started yes. a company for a reason. And yes, it was to make money often, of course, but it was something bigger than that. Almost always. It's almost always like they had a dream. They had something they wanted to do. They, they you know, their kids were, they, they, they noted. I've, so many clients go, 
we know I saw my kids, I'm making this up, but I saw my kids on the floor and there were a lot of chemicals on that floor and I thought I'm getting rid of chemicals. You know, a lot of companies start that way, you know, and, and I, that's inspiring, but, but, you know, you don't ever want to lose that. And what happens is you start putting organization around it. You get people that don't understand that initial, um, that is initial inspiration and it starts to become transactional in the company, Yes, you know, and I make the point in my book, like you don't stop being a human when you walk into your office, yes. you know? So we've, we, we often speak about how we um, consumers some of the time and we're humans all of the time. Um, right. So when I got to that piece in your book about this idea that you don't become a human being just because you've entered a space, it, it really yeah. rein, reinforced my belief because I, I do believe that if, if brands understood that they're solving for the ways in which we're human, not for the ways in which we consume, then we can have a, a much richer conversation. And then you can, this right. idea of sustainability can be a real thing because then we can help you define relationships beyond just this one moment. But, but David, you right. referred to something which, which is also very interesting for me, and I just want to see what, what's happening in your neck of the wood. If somebody said, what do you think are the missing ingredients in the world of brand building in your territory? Like, what are CMOs not getting right? What are CEOs not getting right? Like, what, what is missing? What, is the, what are the pieces that we can put together to, to start to build brands that last and brands that truly make the world a better place? Well, I think the thing that's missing is understanding the value set that, leads, that led to the company and then can live inside a company. And when you take those values out, people become rudderless. And um, you, you, when you add values in and when you add values into the branding or, or into the work or into the company and you express and articulate the brand in a powerful way, it actually increases retention in a company. This is, this is not me. There are studies that have shown it'll, it'll increase retention in a company. It'll, uh, and think about just increasing retention by creating a meaningful culture through a brand. You end up, just think about like if you have like a 5 or 6% turnover every year, your big company. Think about the amount of institutional knowledge that's walking up, going down the elevator and walking out and not coming back. You then have to stop and retrain people to actually then reteach them the institutional knowledge and whatever that brand is. And when you have a brand, people people feel like they're part of something bigger. And listen, sometimes it's a lie. I mean, the, the other thing is sometimes you, you it has to be real. It has to be authentic or else we all have bullshit detectors and we can smell it really fast. And so... I think that's the other thing that's missing is making it real actionable. And, and uh, you, know, you can talk all day long, but if you don't live the brand, people are going to know. Yes. So what, So I was having a conversation about two episodes ago with um, Adam Asane. He is the CEO of the Moleskin Foundation. And the Moleskin mm -hmm. Foundation is very clear about using creativity as a source for good. But we got right. into this definition of creativity and his view is very refreshing because it goes beyond the artistic ability. But you run an ad, you're an ad guy. If somebody says, what does creativity mean to you? How, what, what's your stab at a definition? Well, I, I would reframe the question a little bit because I just had this conversation on Saturday with um, some friends who were coming through town and they stayed with us overnight. Everybody's vaccinated. And so, they came and stayed, and we were talking, and, and we were talking about songwriting, because I, I'm a songwriter, I write songs, whether they're good or not is a whole other thing, but he was like, oh, I could never do that. And I was, uh, I was reading Jeff Tweedy's book, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, the band Wilco, has a mm -hmm. book called 
how to write one song. And it's a beautiful book on creativity. I would say the two books, the two best books I've read on creativity are actually Stephen King's book. It's called On Writing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And now Jeff Tweedy's book, How to Write One Song, because everybody's creative. You can't not be creative. If you want to get your significant other to go to a movie with you and they don't want to see that movie, you have to get creative, right? Yeah. And so where I think the decision and where the distinctions break down is where people get really, I think they're backed up is when they go, well, copywriters and art directors have trained for years to do that craft. And I go, absolutely. That doesn't mean that anybody, just anybody can practice that craft. However, everybody's creative. And ideas can come from everywhere. And what your job is, and as a company of us, you know, we're 23 people. I've worked 23 creative people. I mean, I've got project managers. I've got everybody. But but we really do look at it as everybody can have an idea. And what does that mean? You now need to have a tougher skin about your idea. You need yes. to take your ego out of it. Because your idea might suck. Yes. Right? But that doesn't mean you didn't have an idea. And so I have bad ideas all the time. You know, we all have bad ideas all the time. But... Um, but I think there's a distinction between saying someone's creative and someone's a advertising creative person, which usually means art director, writer, designer. You know, it, it breaks down into these sort of craft distinctions. And and I'm very comfortable in that world. It doesn't bother me. Like, I just think it's wonderful to say, like, hey, you know, we do we do a lot of projects that we open up to the entire agency. And it's really weird what comes back sometimes, you know. And And I will say most of the time, uh, it doesn't get solved by, you know, so, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. And sometimes someone has a great idea and you're like, oh my God. And then, and now you got to break down into your craft and go, writer's got to write that. And a, and a designer has to design it. And, and, and the craft stays intact, you know, and, and there's a real, we have a real respect for craft at my agency, let me tell you. And, um, but, it, but it's, I, I love the idea of everybody creative. And, you know, I, I am part of a couple of other businesses and I'm blown away by, the creativity of some of my non-advertising partners. Like they're, they come up with really interesting things that I wouldn't have even have thought of because I come at it from an advertising framework sometimes, you know? So that's my feeling. That was a long-winded answer, but I, I do think that creativity is this weird alchemical thing that is best. Uh, it's wonderful. I, I think nothing leads you to be more creative than having boundaries, you know, that you're trying to, you're trying to wait. There's a really great book. There's an, I keep, mentioning books yeah great book by a guy named ernie shank i don't know if you know ernie shank he's a he's a should be a hall of fame copywriter he's an amazing copywriter from new england he's just fantastic maybe someday he will be he was at hill holiday for years and he's he had uh he had his own agency for a while but ernie wrote a book called i believe it's called the houdini solution the houdini solution okay. we'll, we'll get the accurate name but his whole idea is that uh he makes he uses a metaphor that's beautiful which is even the mightiest rivers have banks, you know, and you need, you need constraints to be creative. And so he talks a lot about thinking, thinking your way out, thinking inside the box to get out versus people use the term outside, think outside the box. So he's like, no, think inside the box and blow the doors out, like blow the sides out of the box, you know? And And I love that analogy. Beautiful. That is, that's actually fantastic. I mean, I, I I agree with you completely that everybody's creative. Um, my my loose definition is um, creativity is the it's just a unique way of arriving at a solution that wasn't obvious, 
Um, right. and, and, and what you've said about separating it from idea generation to craft is really important because then the craft can then finesse that idea into something yeah. magical that becomes a wonderful piece of work. What wonderful piece of work has moved you in recent time? Like I'm really struggling to find advertising that moves me. Um, and it could just be because I'm not, I'm not searching wide enough or I just haven't come across yeah. something fantastic. But what's, what's, what piece of advertising has moved you recently and why? I think the work that Procter & Gamble is doing right now around um, D&I and um, in, in particular the, the uh, commercial The Talk. Go I don't ahead. know if you've seen that. Yes, it's seen about, that. Uh, probably about two three years now, but um, they've continued to keep that conversation going. And I find that to be moving. Uh, it's very moving and it's very uh, emotional, but it brings you along with you. It, 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 it's, it's one of the most empathy creating pieces of creative I've ever seen. I mean, it just, it creates empathy versus uh, preaching at you. It's so beautiful. And if you have, have you seen it? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's incredible. And they've done, they did, I don't, again, I'm going to, I probably have the wrong name, but they, have, they did the look. They did yes, a bunch they did of different, the look. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it strikes to the, it strikes you to your core, you know, and yet it, it creates empathy, which I just, I, I found that to be um, very difficult to do. And, and you use the word empathy versus compassion. Is that deliberate? Yes, empathy to me is uh, compassion is feeling is feeling emotional about someone. Uh, empathy is actually putting yourself in their shoes. Okay. In my mind. Got it. Got it. And you know, I, I, I we started a brewery. We incubated a brewery out of our agency about six years ago, called Pony Source Brewing. And our whole thing is how do we how do we use this? We said like before there was beer in bottles. We said we wanted not we don't want to just make beer. We want to build community. And at the heart, like, again, this is now big P is like, how do we, what do you do with beer? You, you get together with friends and you get together with people and you, you meet your friends' friends and you talk and you, you share stories. And we said, that's creating empathy. How do we use that? How do we use this product to create empathy and bring our community together? And, um, and it's just everything we do is around community and, and building empathy between people, even to the point where, um, when HD, or you, you may not be aware of this. There was a bill passed in North Carolina about five years ago, yeah. maybe four years ago, called HB2, and it was it told trans people that they they have to use the gender assigned at birth for to go to the bathroom. Like they, if you're a trans woman, you have to go to the men's room. Wow. If you're a trans male, you have to go to the ladies' room. And and their whole point was, you know, we don't want we don't want men in the ladies room and because they're going to molest, you know, and it's like, Oh, you know, but anyway, I was really, really angry about it. I was very, very angry about it. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and take the more morale, the moral imperative out of it. Like I can't take the moral imperative out of it, but let's take it out of it for one yes. second. Yes. It's a terrible business idea for North Carolina. Of course. It's going to cost North Carolina over a billion dollars, that decision. The championship game for the NHL canceled their game. Like, the NBA canceled games. Like, everybody canceled games. Concerts were canceled. Like, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam was coming to Greensboro and canceled, and I had tickets. Oh I didn't get to see. Oh and it was, it was economically devastating. And from a tourism standpoint, it was national news that they did this. And, and, and they did this kind of under cover of secrecy and darkness. You know, like, they didn't, they didn't, it didn't get debated. They just did it. They made it happen. 
So as a brewery, we were like, okay, our we're trying to create empathy and build community. What's our stand here? And it's and it's funny. I'll tell you, it's not one of my prouder moments. But I I wrote this um, I wrote this social media post like that day. Yeah. And it has you know we have this it's Ponysaurus, which is half dinosaur, half uh, horse. You yeah. know that's our logo. And uh, and so I I um I, cre- I I asked one of my designers. I'm like you know illustrate me a dinosaur you know flipping the bird. <laughs> and and I wrote like you know to the troglodytes in the in our legislature, I wrote this really, really mean thing. And I posted it and I was like, now I'll show them. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and I immediately felt weird. I saw it and I went, oh, that feels weird. And then my partner, Nick, called me, immediately called and goes, what are you doing? And I was like, I know, I'm sorry. So we pulled it down. And at the time, we had a, a third partner who was, we were like, let's create a gear that raises money for the LGBTQ community here and let's support them that way. And we did it in, um, we originally did it with another brewery uh, that is no longer around. Um, and we pulled in 42 breweries, I believe, from North Carolina that donated materials, time, distribution, ingredients, everything. And we created this brand called Don't Be Mean to People. Oh my god! And gosh. it's super, it's super cool. And, and, uh, and so then um, all the profits went to these two LGBT Uh, um, uh, things here in North Carolina. One was to a summer camp called Chords, which is a summer camp for queer kids who are not ever around other queer kids, you know? And so it puts them like with people that aren't going to judge them and have these really great experiences. And then we were giving to some other things as well. But um, we've raised like $90,000 for these organizations, you know, and, um, and then it turned into a fall festival at the, at the brewery. We had a festival three years in a row where we had this music festival and we raised money that way. Yeah. And, um, and then of course COVID stopped that. We did it in South Carolina last year cause we had just gone into South Carolina for distribution, but this year, the fall, April, wasn't it? So yeah. five months ago we had to cancel it because of COVID. We didn't do it, but but, uh, so we'll see if we get to do it this, this fall. I'm not sure. But what's really interesting about it is don't be mean to people. The whole idea of it is based on the golden rule. It's not very complicated. Yes. And as I've said, I can go talk. It's apolitical in a way. I can go talk to, I can go into a very conservative Southern Baptist church and talk about that message. And they they have to kind of listen. It's an empathy. Like you can't disagree with the golden rule. <laughs> Who can disagree with that? It's at the center of every religion and every secular philosophy, you know? Oh my so that's what it's based on. And, but, but now, from a business standpoint, that product gets us into doors like you wouldn't believe. People are like, oh, my God, what is that? I want that, yes. you know? And yes. so it's helped our business as well. It's a really good example of, of purpose, living the purpose, um, creating really great advertising and really great. But it's not an ad. Yes. It wasn't an ad. It was a product, you know? Yes. The product with all sorts of stuff around it, and so oh it's a good word. it's a good example of force. It's a good example of your stand, your values, and your purpose determining your behavior. Yes, because an agency that believed that that created a brewery that believed that we couldn't not be in that conversation. We would have been cowards if we hadn't. That is so true. Oh my God, this is such a wonderful case reference. This is so so amazing. So what happened to HB two? In the in the in the final analysis, it's been amended. It's it's still it, it's been amended. There's lots of stuff. You know, it's it's a very political 
it's a very political climate, but uh, it's it's been amended. It's a little bit better now. Wow. We have a we have a much better governor now than we had then, in my opinion. But that's that's me. Oh my God! Which brings me to which brings me to your latest uh, work because the last time we were speaking, we were we touched on the subject of of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and then you then sent me a note about take your seat because part of what yeah. we were we literally wanted to cover, which we've covered, is. Uh, leading a business through a crisis and now just how do businesses develop a level of consciousness particularly now when the world is so not aware but is so willing to look at last at those inequalities so can you walk me through how take your seat happened and and how your business is responding i guess to the complete climate sure i i can i'm so excited about this i can't even tell you man um so when the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor things happened, you know, at around the same time, there was, there was marching and there were a lot of things happening. But the way I put it and the way I, only way I can say it is, you know, dumb me, I woke up white the next morning. I really woke up white the next morning after George Floyd and I went, I'm white. I don't, I've never woken up white before. I never woke up and went, I'm a white dude. What does that mean that I'm a white dude? And it's like, I don't have to fear. I get pulled over by cops sometimes for five miles over or whatever. Yeah. I don't ever worry about it. I mean, think about it. I'm nice to the cop. The cop's nice to me, yes. you know? Anyway, I, I just started thinking like, well, what, what is my sphere of influence? Like, wh- wh- how can I make, I, I'm happy to march. I did not march at the time because of COVID. Yes. But I was like, I could go march. You know, my kids were marching. Like, I, I, I thought, um, we need we need some actions from we need allyship and we need actions from from people and so um, we my people at my agency were like you need to put out a statement you know and I was like nobody wants to hear from me trust me no one's looking to hear what I have to say about this what they want are actions from people like me yes that's what they want they would much rather in six months we went here's what we did than you know platitudes or whatever. But I did write a statement because I, I wrote I wrote a statement for my people as much as for anything because I felt like they really needed to know the stand in the matter that we were taking. Right. And that's why I wrote it. So within that, I said, you know, we're going to look for actions, not work. And like we just do take your seat. But we donated our, our – we have this really beautiful office space in downtown Raleigh, and we have this big kind of panoramic window. And we, we donated that to the local North Carolina ACLU, and we – we donated some strategic help to them to try to redefine defund the police, which I find to be the worst marketing I've ever heard in my life. I think, I think defund, I, mean, I know people, there are people that mean defund the police, like get rid of the police. Yes. But I, I don't think that's the general meaning of defund the police. It means re-resource the police, retrain, yes. re, rethink the police, yes. right? Yes. That's a much less threatening uh, way to say it, I think. So defund the police is just a hammer for, for people who don't believe, you know, that's the, I, somebody pointed this out to me the other day. I'm di- digressing a little bit, but have you noticed you haven't seen one time someone say "stop all hate"? That is in, true. Uh, reference to stop Asian hate. That is true. Why aren't people going "stop all hate"? Yeah. You know, no. So anyway, so you know, we did that. We we did a, a few other things. So so I was on the board of this organization in New York called One Club, yes. which is um, the One Club for Creativity. Fantastic. I've been on for 20 years. I was the chairman for five years. And um, very tight with the leadership there. I've been a long time. It's kind of like being in the Senate. Like if you get once you're voted in, you never get voted out, you know? 
And um, Kevin Swanepoel, the CEO, just said, hey, you know, if you, you've been on a long time, if you want, you could resign and name the bylaws of this of this club, or you could actually name your successor. They don't have to go through. We could just literally the next day have somebody filling your board seat. Would you want to do that and nominate a black executive? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do that. And so, um, and so we called another guy, Steve Sandstrom, and said the same thing. And Steve was like, yes. See, I put Steve on the board like 15 years ago, you know? So we both gave up board seats for black executives, and we put two just ridiculously kick-ass uh, black executives on the board of the one club. So easy. And I went, that was easy. How could that have been easier, you know? And so I came back, and I thought, um, and I I think Alexis Ohanian had done something similar at Reddit. Mm-hmm. and uh, I posted something on Instagram and, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to post a video on Instagram and I'm going to challenge all of my C-suite friends to do the same. I'm just going to say, you know, hey, give up seat. Like, it's easy. Yeah. And one of my creative directors said, why don't you use the hashtag take the seat? And I went, that's a really, that's a really great phrase. Why don't we start a company called Take Your Seat that's dedicated to that, that's getting people to give up earmark or make room for black executives in the board. And, and I'll tell you why black executives. Yeah. Um, it's not just because of George Floyd. We feel like black executives are the domino that can tip over all DNI. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is DNI tends to get taken over by white women. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you get a board, though, we've literally heard from people though, well, well, we have. Uh, we have, a, um, we have a woman on the board, so we're really really hitting the DNI heart. And you're like, well, that's wonderful. That's great. You should definitely do that. Yes. But we need black voices in the room. And our, and our feeling was maybe we can create systemic change faster by getting black voices into those decision-making conversations. Mm. And boards tend to be um, old boy networks for the most part. I mean, that's not true every, in every case. And there's public boards and private boards and nonprofit boards. There's a lot of different kinds of boards. But... But we thought, um, you know, we need to get black voices representing being black on board. Mm. And so it started there. It's gotten so much bigger. It's gotten so much bigger. And, and we, I, I, I had this idea. I called a really good friend of mine who was an ex-client and uh, who has a and e company here in town called One Better Ventures, John Replegal. And I was like, John, here's what we're thinking of doing. You know, would you like to be a part of it? And he goes, you're not going to believe it. But we were just having the same conversation. And so they got on board and we immediately then started looking for um, black leadership to actually run it because we want this to be a black run company, black owned and and run company. Mm -hmm. And so we hired a woman named Jerusha Stewart, who is just a magic. She's magic. Uh, You must meet her and talk to her. You got to get her on this. Okay. She's incredible. I'll introduce you. But, uh, but she, she of course, brought a black point of view to it and saw many things that John and I didn't see. Yes. And it's turned into something much bigger than give up a seat, earmark a seat, you know, make room. It's become a much bigger thing. Wow. wow. Well, I look forward to seeing what it becomes because um, as, as soon as you sent me that link, I thought of, I've got a, a girlfriend who's based in Ghana and she mm-hmm. runs an outfit called Boardroom Africa. And and it's, I think it's about, yeah, I think that when you connect me with your person, I will connect them and we'll make okay. the circle bigger and just continue to build out this community. Because I really, I mean, there are I, there are two things. I I hold a a positive and a contrarian view about 
um, diversity, the responsibility of diversity being placed on the shoulders of a of a black person. And I'll tell you why. Because as somebody who's been black, senior, the youngest, and alone, my experience was until the complete ecosystem adjusts to embrace my diversity, then I'm only just going to be this lone wolf in the forest just screaming at everybody. So I think the the first part, yes, it's important to have diversity driven by somebody who has that lived experience, but I think parallel to that would be to hold corporates to account about how they're going to alter the culture to accommodate and be a lot more inviting a lot more, and a lot more supportive. Because what, what tends to happen in South Africa is... Um, someone like me will be appointed either the chief marketing officer of a, of a multinational banking brand, and in three years, then you're told you're not a culture fit, and nobody says this is how we didn't adjust the culture to accommodate your difference right. or your uniqueness or things like that. Right, right. I, so you're saying exactly what Jerusha saw. Okay. So Jerusha came in and said, guys, it's about relationships. It's not about we just need to get a black person in that room having black conversations. That's hugely important. Yes. Um, it's about creating relationships that make these things possible and relationships at all levels. And so what we actually did instead was started a community site that's um, bringing together board influencers, CEOs, uh, and C-suite candidates for boards. And then what we call the ready to be ready. Yes. There's a ton of candidates out there that are, just on the cusp of being ready for board service, but they're not there yet, Got you know? It. And it's not that they're not there yet from an experience. They just, they don't have the right resume, maybe. They haven't uh, they haven't aimed themselves at it. They don't know what boards do. Like, there's a lot of education that needs to happen there. Yes. Um, but you're, you're hitting exactly what Jerusha saw, which was that we're creating things that we're calling reciprocal mentorships, where, you know, you can be mentored. Um, you can be mentored as a senior person looking kind of, to find out more about what's happening in a company or what's happening in culture, yeah. just as much as they're mentoring you on how to be on a board, you know? And so that's what, that's exactly what we're um, hitting now. And, and it's, it's just been, it's been a magic carpet ride. I have to tell you, wow. and you can't not be uplifted in these conversations and in these meetings. It's incredible. Wow. Well, I, I am really looking forward to meeting your colleague. And, and like I say, I will join, I'll join her up with, um, with the guys at Boardroom Africa. So I'm aware of my time check because I promised you 45 minutes. So I'm not going to keep you for anything longer. I have one question to, to two questions to ask you before I let you go. The first one is, what are you hoping the world becomes now that we've, we've all lived through this horrible thing called COVID? I'm, I mean, I don't think that we'll ever, um, there'll ever be a time where it's over, but what are you hoping we have learned just as humanity and as business yeah. leaders during this time? And then the second one is this platform is called coming full circle. What does coming full circle mean to David Baldwin? Um, I'll answer the first one first, okay. which is what I think, the, what, what I think is going to happen in the world. It's a very scary time right now. And I think, COVID has caused some of the fear. COVID's not going away, by the way. I think we're gonna, yes. it's going to turn into an annual flu shot, right? I mean, we're going to get our COVID shot every year now as well. Yes. Uh, I just don't think it's going anywhere. And so, um, but that said, um, in any tragedy is 
opportunity. And so you always have to look for the positivity and the opportunity of what you can do. And like I said, it's been very productive for me. It's been very productive. Um, so I think what I've, I can only speak in the eye. What I've learned is um, I've learned a new level of accountability with my own people, A, for me to be accountable to them and B, giving them like being dispersed and being on Zooms, everybody has to be accountable to what they do. And it's been magical to watch them do it. And in a way, it's I've let go. I've let go in a way that I never thought that maybe I could. I'm, I'm not saying I was ever a control freak, but I definitely was in everything, you know. And um, I've I've always been a pretty good delegator, but also still kind of in everything. And I've learned through this, like, man, this is smart people. Let those smart people do their thing. Make yourself available for them when they need you. Um, but let them do their thing every, and it becomes so much more efficient, you know, and so much. And I think they get their lives out of it. I hope, I mean, you should ask them, maybe they hate it, but I don't think so. But, uh, but I think that that's what I've learned. So I, I've come out of this thinking, like I used to think of a, you know, I've always said co a company is not a building. A company is a culture. It's a group of people. And one person can come in and screw that up. One person can come and light it on fire. You know what I mean? And, um, and, uh, but it is a group of people. That's what a company is. And, and so to trans transition to the full circle thing is knowing your values, understanding your values and not getting away from them. And I, I wrote in the book and I, I always forget. And I wrote this in the book. I always forget the, who said it, but it's the wonderful saying of growth for growth sake is the philosophy of the cancer cell. We've never been a growth for growth sake company. We've always been very, Strategic, targeted, organic, and what we are interested in as a company. And that has not changed, but that's based on our value system. And that is a value system of we're not just going to take anybody's money just to take the money. And um, that to me is full circle is like, always remember your values. They will always lead you through the rocky waters, man. Always. Oh, my word. So thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thank you for just giving of your time and your heart and your wisdom. I'll tell you what's going to happen after this. Once it's been edited, I will probably edit it to two um, episodes. I'll send you copies. You can use okay. it as you choose. Sure. But I, I just, I'm going to look out for your email for the intro to your take your seat person, yeah, sure, and then sure. I'll, yeah. and then I'll keep my word and just connect them. And please let's stay sure. connected in whichever way possible. But thank you so much I for love today. It. Hey, by the way, it's pounding rain right now. While we started talking, can you hear it? No. Oh, good. Okay, because I well, it was funny when we started this, and now it's raining like crazy. So I and I've got glass like like skylights, and they're just like it's making so much noise. So I'm glad you can hear it. Oh, fantastic! Well, in our culture, <laughs> rain is blessings, so may they continue to yeah. to rain to rain upon you. But I I really do wish you courage and clarity. And until next time, stay safe. Thank you so much. You take Have care. Good day. Thanks. Bye, Bye -bye. David. This is Suzanne Marukile. You've been listening to Full Circle with me, Zah. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And if you haven't yet, go to YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Google, or any platform of your choice to download this podcast, subscribe, and share with a friend or 10. Join me next time for another episode of Full Circle with Zah. Thank you for listening.